0: another edition of smith and jones eric smith paul jones with you make sure you subscribe to smith and jones wherever you get your podcast please download rate and review whether it be on google Podcasts or spotify or apple or otherwise you can always check us out smith and jones fresh episode coming every thursday and of course you can hear us On Sportsnet 590 the fan as well lots to dive into this week Jones we've got lots of time to do so but one of the things we want to get to right off the top of the show we're pleased to be joined by I mean he's the new head coach but it's not so new anymore this announcement came a few months ago but it's our first time to talk to him and the Raptors 905 G League season is upon us as well so lots to dive into with again the newly minted head coach of Raptors 905 Eric Curry. Eric thanks for the time
1: thanks for having me
0: on um let me backtrack a little bit to the announcement that came sort of, uh, you know, late summerish, I suppose, is the best way to call it, Eric. Um, how did the process start in terms of you being named, ultimately, the head coach for Raptors 905? Because your trajectory, your path, has been a very interesting one, to say the least, and it's something we want to dive into. But how did this come to be?
1: Uh, well, the previous coach, uh, Coach Patrick Mutombo, he, um, he got a job of Phoenix, so the, the opening presented itself. And i would shown interest in the position in the past, but I think so multiple people. So uh, around that time, around the draft, we had an interview process and a few people put their name in the hat. And it was great to go through an interview. Uh, great experience. So I was really excited for that. And then, yeah, that's uh, kind of how the job came about.
2: Eric, Eric, when did you actually find out? I mean, you and I spoke in Vegas. Uh, you were, you know, you had a, a couple of chances to uh, you know, lead the team and, and, coach in Vegas. Was that, was there an inkling there that, geez, I'm getting a shot at running this thing. I know everybody kind of, you know, Vegas has different rules and, and kind of, uh, you know, different responsibilities, you know, Trevor coached uh, Patrick Mutombo the year before the assistants always do a lot more of the heavy lifting, but did that give you an inkling that something might be going on with nine Oh five and maybe you were successful?
1: Um, I mean, you're you're looking at everything at that time. You're waiting to hear. So I found out officially right at the end of Vegas, um, but before that, you know, you're you're hoping for the best. But you, I hadn't heard anything officially. So yeah, I was kind of looking at the tea leaves as much as possible. But there's there's only so much hoping you can do until it actually clicks.
2: Eric, how much has it helped you that uh, you've been on Nick's staff and and on a couple of uh, NBA head coaching staffs. I mean, it's Nick Nurse isn't the first head coach you've worked under. How much? How much do you think that'll help you going into, um, you know, your your G League tenure? Kind of seeing what you like, what you don't like, uh, what you'd like to try, what you think is successful. All of those things play into it.
1: Yeah, it's it's helped a lot. Um, being able to work for Nick and, and being around the Raptors organization for almost a decade now you get a really good sense of how everything is run and like you said, what works great and and what areas of improvement there could be. But I've I've had the chance to work for four great head coaches uh, starting with coach Casey. And then like you said, coach nurse um, and then coach Jamma and coach Patrick. So a lot of great coaches to learn from and and to take what they've done really well and work with it. Um, But just the fact that, be able to be so tied into the organization for so long now it's so important for the 905 and the Raptors to be doing the same things and really being in sync so that way it really helps with the development of whichever players are playing with 905 so getting to have that experience is really valuable
0: you know Eric it's interesting I remember thinking back to an article I read uh, man at least a year ago if not a year and a half ago and I'm trying to remember who, who actually said the quote um, but in talking about you it was It was said, you're too smart for basketball. <laughs> like, I mean, you look at your resume, you look at your background. How did we get to this point? Like, w- at what point did you kind of, like? There, I mean, clearly the passion for the sport, the passion for the game, as you just noted, you've been with the organization now for a decade. But at what point did you kind of start recognizing, like, forget about my education, my background. This is maybe even more of, or at least as equal of, a passion. And, and where did the, or when did the, the sort of, um switch get flicked in your brain to to say here's the path i'm taking
1: yeah i was uh i was doing my master's at the time when i heard about the new technology they were putting in the nba all the player tracking stuff and in my master's i was doing a lot of particle tracking so i realized that technologies the technology itself was very similar even if the applications were very different um, and that's. I've always been a huge basketball fan, grew up a huge Raptors fan, my brother, my cousins, everything, my parents. So that's when I said, well, instead of applying directly to engineering jobs, let's see if I can translate this to working for the Raptors. And, and if that works, great. If it doesn't, well, then I'll, I'll go pursue my engineering degree and, and go from there. But uh, to be able to do it, I think it's a lot more fun to be working in basketball than engineering. So I've been pretty happy about that.
2: Uh, when did you get the coaching bug eric uh you know like you're you, you're you know you're a stat stats guy you're a, a particle tracker you're 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 looking at all those you know as eric said all those academic things uh it's a whole different ball game managing people and and getting into the you know behind the bench and you know i i see you before games working out with players and you're i mean you're you're hustling around it that's that's very different from you know uh You know, sitting and and looking at purely numbers all the time. When did you get the coaching bug?
1: 100% is different. Um, I started on the management side, like you mentioned, uh, purely in the analytics role. But I would work with the coaching staff more and more each season until I got to sit in on some coaches' meetings and then eventually work almost exclusively with the coaching staff. And finally, uh, Coach Casey invited me to work on his staff full time. And just the more I worked, on the court and being part of a team and all the relationships you build, all the the team chemistry, I found it so interesting. I found it a lot more fun than sitting in an office, that's for sure. So being able to do that, um, that's what kind of really drew me into it in the first place. And ever since I made that decision, just been loving it since. So being able to be on the court as opposed to uh, sitting in a chair in the office, uh, every part of it is just, I've just loved it. So the coaching bug maybe about five years ago and have just
0: been pursuing it ever since you know eric i i often say this to jonesy you know in, in his sort of uh, dual role and his you know roles in the past in education as a as a principal as well i've i've never worked in management or worked and managed people i've only ever worked in this media industry um i don't know if you had a chance to kind of you know very early in your career obviously post post education you 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 kind of got that basketball bug and you went down this path and now you're down this coaching path So maybe, I don't know if you can answer this or not, but the difference between, as you just talked about, working in an office setting versus working on the court hands-on with the people, being in shorts and a t-shirt and working guys out, the difference between managing people as a coach versus working in an office or managing people that way, I've got to assume that the relationships and just the the execution of the day-to-day is so much different, but to your point, so much more potentially gratifying and rewarding in terms of molding young men, let alone young athletes.
1: For sure. And I've been out of the analytics department for almost five years now. So there's not that many guys, actually, I'm not sure if there's any guys on the team who, when they joined, I was in an analytics role. Since then, I've kind of been in a coaching role, Um, especially the majority of the new guys wouldn't even know that that's where I started. But when you're on the court and you're working out uh, pregame, postgame practices, all that, and you kind of build that sweat equity with them, um, that's when the relationships really start to change as opposed to uh, just here's uh, somebody who's just sitting watching the games not really doing anything. So that relationship grows, and, and I mean, players, they know what they want. They're, they're trying to grow, and they're trying to get better at their craft the same way coaches are. But if you can help to show, hey, I can contribute to uh, your success, I can help you get somewhere else, help you grow as a player, well, you're going to get buy-in at the end of the day no matter what your background is. So that's always something I try and keep in mind is, I know what my job is as a coach is to help the team win and more specifically is to help players grow. And and that's a great way to help the team win. So I always keep that first and foremost when, when I'm thinking about everything I'm trying to be doing.
2: So, so Eric, you have that unique perspective of, um, knowing where the analytics people are coming from and having been on a bench and actually working with human beings, because they always say the numbers don't bleed. Uh, I'd really be interested to really uh, know your take and and love to hear your take as a guy that has had a foot in both camps, because there are some people that, um, you know, go strictly by the eye test. And, yeah, the numbers are part of it. And there are other people that look at the numbers and and that's gospel. And, uh, you know, sometimes they forget about the living, breathing entities that have to execute that stuff where do you fall that with that knowing that you were in both camps or have been at both camps
1: yeah i mean at the end of the day the numbers are focusing on one thing is they're they're really trying to it's very good for tactics put it that way and tactics are such a small part about coaching right there's so much more to coaching than just explicitly tactics and the numbers are there, there's always tough to uh, distinguish between what's signal and what's noise, right? So I would say analytics nowadays are pretty good at telling you what led to winning in the past. They're not always great at predicting what's going to win in the future. Now, there's some areas mm-hmm. it's pretty good, and there's some areas it's, not, it's still developing, right? So having seen both, um, you can tell right away, okay, the analytics were good at explaining what occurred, um, but that's not always the most useful thing going forward. So on the coaching side, you really have to put your, your team in the best position to win going forward, not necessarily to explain what's happened in the past. And then you realize, okay, that's just the tactics part of it. Um, there's so many more important sides to coaching. Um, keeping the team happy and, and working towards you have 12, 15 guys on the team and they all have their own individual goals. But if you're solely focused on the team side and, and you're trying to force everyone into these boxes, well, you're not going to have a very happy locker room either, right? So you need to really build those relationships up, figure out what each individual's goals are, how they want their career to develop, and work towards that as a coach. So that's something where the analytics side is pretty pretty far behind and, and probably wouldn't get there anytime soon.
0: You know, even in saying that, Eric, when you talk about how far behind, I was actually in my brain that my next question was going to be about how far analytics have come. So it's interesting to, to hear you say that there's still so much work to be done. Is this generation now, though, and when I say this generation, whether it's the last five years, the last ten years, essentially since you came into the organization, have you seen a greater acceptance, a greater adaptation from, a greater welcoming from the players specifically, I'm saying, to the analytic side, to sitting down, whether it be right on the bench or in an office or in the video room? breaking things down and watching tape but also watching it with an analytical eye where they're shown the numbers and they're shown, you know, differently or even coached differently and, and guided differently than perhaps they did, you know, five, ten years ago, let alone if we talked about 20, 30 years ago.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot more understanding now um, than when I started, for sure. Most Most terms are readily understood. Like guys know what points per possession are. Or say what an effective field goal percentage is as opposed to just straight field goal percentage, yeah, there's a, there's a bit more understanding now than there was. Um, but there's also, they see the numbers everywhere, whether it's video games or, the, like, the awesome new boards that they put in at, um, at the practice facility. Like, that's taking up the entire wall, and, and they're getting hit with feedback right away on every shot, and they're going to be able to see different analytics on their shots. So the reports are more readily available Um, So players can dive into whatever reports they would like to. So, yeah, there's definitely, I I think there's more buy-in now. Um, And a lot of that starts with the coaching staff. Uh, Every coaching staff now is completely bought into it. Um, Nobody's really pushing back. When you first started, there might have been a couple assistant coaches who were looking at these like, I don't need these numbers. What are you even showing me? But now I don't think any coach would ever say something like that. They know how valuable it can be, Um, and especially if it's used the right way. It can't be any sort of replacement for the film or all the hard work that coaches do, but to supplement it and to double check theories that coaches have, it, it can be very helpful.
2: Eric, what are you most looking forward to uh, in your upcoming tenure as, as head coach of 905? I, I know that uh, you've been part of the developmental process for a lot of these guys going forward, and, and the Raptors are really recognized as one of those teams that, uh, you know, recruit develop and retain guys and when you look at the big club now and how far Fred and Pascal have come and you know not to mention guys that are no longer here that you know that that developed and and were used as as trade chips as trade assets what you've got that developmental part but i know there's a competitive part with you that that really wants to win cuz that's the ultimate success what do you, what are you most looking forward to
1: the the beauty of the g league is you don't stand a chance of winning if you don't do the developmental part. Um, If the players are the same caliber caliber of players right now in October and November that they're going to be in April, you're not going to win in April. Um, So that's what's so fun about the G League is you have to do both the development and the winning. But what I'm most excited about is being able to take a big vision that you've thought of over the years and wanted to craft um, and almost like a culture that you want to instill and actually putting it on the court. And, getting the buy-in from the guys and and from the staff and the the coaches and and really putting it in action. Uh, As a coach, you're making hundreds of decisions a day, and you might not get them all right, but if on the balance, uh, most of your decisions are going in the right direction, then over the long run, all those incremental steps really can take a team pretty far. And that's what I'm most looking forward to, is, is getting them myself, getting the coaches, getting the players a little bit better every day and seeing how far we can take it come April.
0: Hey, Eric, we could probably ask the same question to to any coach in the G League. Um, But, hey, we're talking to you specifically. How much um, conversation, um, meetings, how much synergy, how much involvement and input will there be from – nick nurse or from the main club in terms of you know you're still allowed to coach your style your way and do what you want with your team but at the same time you're trying to develop guys that could fit in seamlessly with the big club as well so how much you know synergy and connection will there be with the two of you over the course of the season
1: oh there's going to be lots there has to be lots um at the end of the day the the role of the 905 is to help the parent club as much as possible so for starters that's the main reason we want when the two ways are playing with both clubs and assignment guys, we want to make sure they're not learning two different playbooks, both on the offensive and defensive end. But more importantly, Coach Nurse's stuff has a proven track record. It works. So there's no, there's no need to change anything that's really successful. Um, granted, we don't have a Pascal Siakam on our team or a Fred Rambleed or any of these superstars. Um, but that doesn't mean there aren't plays designed for every single position. right? So we might not call the plays at the exact same frequency that Coach Nurse is calling them up top of the big club but he's got a big enough playbook that you pick and choose what's going to work specifically for your club, but you're still picking from the same playbook. And we might run a, play, a certain play more often than he does. And we might run one of the plays he runs fewer, but at the end of the day, it's still going to be the same playbook and still going to be the same defensive philosophies and, and so on and so forth.
2: Eric, how much of an advantage do you have? I mean, like I said, we, I go back to, again, I keep going back to Vegas, but I watched you, um, <laughs> patrolling the sideline, especially in that last game. And, and, and boy, you had some of the great coaching expressions that head coaches were like, oh, geez, like oh, I, I forgot. Now you look down at your assistants like, you know, like you were sitting there once like, come on, man. What are we going to do about this? Give me an answer. I need some suggestions. I get all the votes, but you guys have suggestions. And, and I think about that and I look at guys like Ron Harper Jr., uh, Jeff Doughton Jr. Uh, obviously, Christian's going to be up and down on the rail between you and the big club. And and I look at these guys and how much of an advantage do you have knowing them from working out with them from back in June, coaching them in July, and then, you know, training camp and then knowing that, you know, you've got the same playbook as Coach Nurse. What kind of an advantage is that going to be?
1: Yeah, it helps a lot, obviously. It gives you a bit of a head start. Um, And we're noticing that we had training camp this past week and the week before, and Obviously, the G League has a lot more new faces than, say, the Raptors team would. You don't have that same kind of consistency and carryover. But there's a lot of teaching to do. Um, But those guys who have been around for a few months now, when they're with the team, it's a lot easier, right? Um, Having a few extra players who know exactly what's going on when they come and execute everything perfectly, it sets the tone for the second unit and the third unit to understand, oh, this is what they're trying to accomplish. Okay. Um, So having players who have seen it before is great, but then also just having built that relationship. a couple months further along than it is with some of the newer guys. So having that relationship in place helps so much. It makes it easier to coach, you know, how they how they like to communicate, what's going to get through, are they do they learn most from film, from being on the court, from words, what's best. And starting to build that relationship really helps a lot.
0: Hey, Eric, sorry if I sound like a Hallmark card here or something for a second, but I, I think back to my own situation. I'm sitting here talking to you. I'm looking at a picture of Magic Johnson. And Jonesy introduced me to Magic years ago. He was my guy growing up. But growing up in the early 80s, Showtime Lakers, that's when I got hooked into basketball. And I had to wait until I was in my 20s for the Raptors to even exist, for for my town, to even my city, to even have a club. For a young basketball fan, for a young sports fan to now be sitting here um, you know, I'm sure your parents are ridiculously proud, your wife, your, your, your family, your father, all of this stuff, to be sitting here and saying, man, I am the head coach of a G League team. I'm in, I've been working for the only Canadian franchise in the NBA for a decade now. Like, Do you have those moments where you can sit back and do those pinch me moments? Do, I mean, what, like, talk to me a little bit about that, but also just what you're looking forward to most when it's finally for real real in that first game.
1: Oh, 100 percent I do. Um, the, the one that strikes me the most is after we won the championship, and we're doing the parade, and all the staff are looking around me like, "Wow, look how many people there are. This is ridiculous, but then I'm, I'm looking at, this all people I've known growing up. I, I randomly hear my name, and it's a friend from Michael I hadn't seen in years, or someone I went to university here in Toronto as well. So someone from UFT or somebody I played basketball with growing up, just nonstop. you're, you're bumping into people you see. And it was so cool, like in your own city to be on the championship bus. That was definitely a big-time pinch-me moment. Um, but it's, yeah, I'm so excited for the season. Uh, Jonesy was mentioned in Vegas when uh, when I told my dad I got the job. Uh, they live out in California now. When I told him I got the job, uh, he's like, oh, I'm hopping on a flight. And you're going to come to the game, too? I'm coming for sure. <laughs> so he took a last-minute flight, flew to Vegas, came and spent spent a couple of days together. So it was it was so exciting. Um I'm definitely looking forward not only to this weekend when we go to D.C. and play Capital City, but also the following following week when we have the home opener. It's going to be really exciting. A lot of friends I grew up with have reached out saying they're coming to the game for sure. So, yeah, it's uh,
0: you can never take this stuff for
1: granted. That's for sure. So I'm, I'm really blessed uh, to be in this position.
0: So as coach just said, first game against Capital City this Saturday, seven o'clock Eastern, and, uh, coming up next week against the Westchester Knicks, the, uh, home opener for Raptors 905. Again, Eric, happy for you, man. Congratulations, and, uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you again at some point over the course of yeah. the season. We'll be seeing lots of you as well.
2: Congrats, Eric. Perfect. Great I job. That.
0: Thanks. Thank you. Great to chat with, the uh, head coach of Raptors 905, Eric Corey, and, and Jonesy Lake. <laughs> It is wild to think again, I, I at the risk of sort of you know beating a dead horse here, just looking at his, his path to, to get to this point. Um, you know, for a guy that was at University of Toronto with a bachelor of applied science in aerospace engineering and a master's of applied science in experimental fluid dynamics. I don't even know what the hell either one of those things are. I'm just a journalism grad, period. Like this guy, as I said in our interview, is too smart to be a basketball coach. But to think of a guy that – and and listen, there are examples of it, no doubt. I mean, heck, even when you think about Nick Nurse, he played at a certain level but didn't necessarily play you know, uh, NBA or you know, one of the all-time greats, Jeff Van Gundy. The list goes on. There are plenty of people that didn't play at a significant level uh, that turned out to be ridiculously good coaches and some of the best coaches in the game, current, past, present, or otherwise. But when you think about a guy like Eric – in the specific program that he was in to then parlay that into an analytics role and then to parlay analytics into getting onto the court and then onto the court to the point where he's trusted enough, respected enough, and valued enough to do more, to be given more, and then to get to this point where he went through an interview process and beat out other candidates and now, boom, head coach. Like That, to me, is a huge testament to clearly his talent, let alone his work ethic, and it just also shows clearly the forward thinking that the Raptors organization has. And that I think a lot of sports organizations maybe need to have going forward where it doesn't have to necessarily fit the same mold, the same criteria that always has think outside the box a little bit, look for fresh ideas and you don't have to all have the exact same resume, the exact same background. And I like that. I really do.
2: Yeah, I do too. And that's, I mean, that's what we're, uh, you know, that's what we're starting to see now. Um, uh, as Eric said, the combination of the numbers and the eye test uh, coming together and producing stuff that it does now, and and it's not skewed one way or the other. And I, I kind of laugh because the numbers are the analytics that people talk about. And Eric, you know me; I've always said this. Sometimes I refuse to call them that. I just they're stats, um, they're advanced stats, they're you know drill-down stats. That you call them what you want, but those numbers have always been there. It's just that now, um, there's more research around them. There's, uh, expedited ways to get them to interpret them and integrate them into what you're doing. But, you know, it's not like coaches never cared about stats before. It's just, they're, they've become popular and they've become mainstream now. So, um, I, you know, I, I just, I just think it's a great story, you know, and I, I'm kind of laughing here and, and, and thinking, uh, Boy, the eras are different, you know, uh, a lot of people, um, you know, could, couldn't break in or, or, or didn't have a chance to uh, just because of the old ways of thinking, as you said, now that you can think outside the box, man, it makes things totally different. And you've got people willing to take those chances and and, and make those moves. Um, I think it's great for the game. It'll be, continue to be good for the growth of the game. And you know, here's a guy like Eric, getting a, 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 Eric Curry, getting a, a chance first time at coaching. And, you know, uh, as we, we, we say, um, fresh ideas coming from new people.
0: Well, and, and I don't know if this is a, um, a fair comparison or a fair segue even, maybe I'm not comparing, but looking at the situations, albeit NBA versus G League, but a guy that was a first-time head coach is now an unemployed uh, head coach, former head coach in Steve Nash. Earlier in the week, we find out about Brooklyn moving on from Steve Nash. So you've got a two-time MVP who's you know clearly forgotten more about the game than most people know, and he's out. And you've got a new coach coming in who's another former player, but you, you start thinking about it. Again, I don't know if it's a fair comparison or a fair segue, but just trying to think of all the different ways uh, that you could look at coaching or all the different people that you could potentially look for, look at, and it isn't always, and I don't mean this as a as a, as a knock or disrespect to, to Steve Nash, but it isn't always the guy that that knows the most that's going to be the best coach, or it isn't always the guy with the most basketball experience, quote-unquote, that's going to be the best coach. It might be the best person that can drop the best plays, that has the best people skills, that has an analytical approach, that has a... a you know, being able to think in the moment, to to think under pressure, to think outside the box—all that stuff, Jonesy. Like, think about some of the all-time great players. If I go across pro sports, but even just in basketball, Magic Johnson wasn't a great coach. Steve Nash struggled. Wayne Gretzky wasn't a great coach in hockey, right? Larry Bird was a decent coach, but he couldn't take a lot of the BS from a lot of the young players, and just kind of eventually said, "Forget this. I'll go on the management side." Like, it's—I think you you almost have to seek out somebody that is more outside the box because. You have a greater chance think about even some of the all time great coaches again in any sport they were often the grit players the grind players the 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 deep player on the bench, not the stars right
2: yeah no that, that's 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 very true um you know oftentimes it is that guy who didn't get on the floor or has to pay a little bit um more attention and and examine the fine details a little a little bit uh More particularly, to get it done, and you know as as we've seen sometimes it's people that didn't even play in the league you, you just you, you talk about a Nick nurse or you know a dwayne Casey or guys that you know they they understand the game, but they also understand people, and so it's it's tough i I just thought Steve Nash was in a very difficult position because. As much as he had the support of management, um, there are times when I felt he didn't have the support where he probably felt he could go to a player or especially a Kyrie Irving or a Kevin Durant and, you know, have a discussion with them. And not necessarily heavy-handed to kind of clear the air, you know, pounding your fist on the table, but, hey, wait a minute, this is our philosophy and this is the way we want to do things. And I, I just wondered if Steve always had that support from upper management. Maybe he did. I mean, I'm, I'm not there. I don't know, but, and then the other part of that too is personality. Uh, Steve is not, he was not the kind of guy that was going to yell and scream at people. That's not him. He embraces people. He brings people in. He, he reasons, he talks, he discusses things to get people to buy in and you know, I, for people to say he did a terrible job as a coach, uh, I'll fight them on that because, um, you know, they, they had a record in the regular season of he was like above 30 games, like 92 and 62 or something like that. Yep. He was 92 and
0: 62. Yep. He
2: was he was, you know, up there. Uh, if Kevin Durant doesn't step on the line, they eliminate the <laughs> Milwaukee Bucks in the year that they win the championship. Right. Um, yep. They were in first yep. place last year in what, January? until all the covid stuff hit and the injuries hit and 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 people will remember they they got through the plan and then they got swept by boston but go back and look at that sweep against boston those were four close highly competitive games that you know it's it it's a shot here a shot there would they lose on a layup at the buzzer uh in in one game i mean it's that final line. So for people to say, well, you know, he didn't have any experience. He didn't do a good job. That's, that's, uh, you know, I'll fight you on that. I don't need to, I don't need to be a chef to know a bad meal. Um, so uh, I hope Steve gets another chance somewhere, maybe even as an assistant um, go onto somebody's bench and uh, he can impart the knowledge that he learned as a head coach with somebody else. And maybe he'll get a shot again somewhere else.
0: Well, Jonesy, at the risk of repeating some of what you just said, I, I, again I can tell we've been working together so long because I was going to say the the toe on the line, like how how different is the path, how different is the script, how different are we are we even discussing Steve Nash not being in Brooklyn anymore if Kevin Durant doesn't have that toenail barely get over the line, right, and and right. if. If Milwaukee's eliminated, is Brooklyn ultimately in the finals? Who knows? There's no way to know that. But I'll say this, and I don't want to be guilty. You can rein me in or check me if, if this is sounding too hot takey. When I think about everything that he went through as head coach in Brooklyn, from Harden's in, then Harden's hurt, then Harden's gone, to Kyrie's there, but Kyrie's hurt, and Kyrie with COVID, and vaccinations, and not traveling – to Durant, to the toe, to the last year, trying to carry the team to the point where you even said, yet in spite of all that, they're still in first place at the flip of the calendar, almost at the midway point of the season, to then go through the off season of, of all the, the turmoil and the, 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 the BS, whether it be did Durant say anything or did he not say anything, and Kyrie and the outspokenness and whatever else. This is my my, my potential hot take moment. Give him a different team that didn't have all that going on. Give him one of those things. Maybe he survives, or maybe it comes through a little more glowingly. I think the Kyrie thing alone would be enough to potentially bury any coach. I think he has become, he is still one of the great players in the game whose basketball talent is unreal, but I think the rest of the stuff that comes with him I think is not worth the headache for a lot of coaches, in my humble opinion. I've never met the man. I've asked him a couple of questions in a press conference. I've never done a one-on-one interview. Might be the greatest guy in the world, but from the outside looking in, he's a guy that I think uh, has a lot, brings a lot to the table, and I think it's extremely difficult for any coach, let alone general manager or organization, to um, deal with, let's just say.
2: Yeah, no, I I agree. I agree. Um, Kyrie Irving has been one... uh, disruption after another, um, and, and making it it tough to focus on basketball when you're around the nets, because there always seem to be some ancillary issues going on. I mean, right now, you know, Sean Marks, uh, said in one of the news conferences, we're going to wait till, um, for a while for, to put Kyrie in front of the media again. Uh, I mean, we all saw the exchange with Nick Friedell on, on social media, um, And, you know, a lot of people, their take is Kyrie thinks he's the smartest guy in the room uh, and wants to go down with the ship because his way is the right way, because it's because this is the way I see it. This is the way it is. And if you really are the smartest person, uh, you understand there's the more, you know, the more you don't know. And there's more research to be done, more consultation, uh, more of a deep dive to be taken um, and then discussions from there to until you get to the point where you might agree to disagree, but there's no, it, it's not adversarial and bellicose in any way. So, uh, it's, it's tough. And Steve Nash had to manage all that. And never mind what happened in the summer with, with, uh, with Kevin Durant. Did, did he really ask for Steve Nash and Sean Mark's job? Um, all of these things. So, uh, there's some turmoil in, in Brooklyn and, uh, uh, it'll be interesting to see who they get. Uh, the rumors are out there about Ime Yudoka. It'll be interesting to see who they get, when they get them. And as Sean Mark said, uh, they have a window. Can they get keep that window open and salvage this season?
0: All right, last one for you. Just because you brought it up, you said you hope Steve Nash gets a chance again. In your humble opinion, Jonesy, you think he wants a chance again? Do you think he will want to coach or was this sort of like, hey, I had a taste and the record was what it was. But, you know, I, I, I'm going to go back to producing movies or or doing whatever and just kind of fade off and, and, and let it slide. Or do you think he has the bug and he'll want to keep going with this? I, I,
2: I think he's got the bug. He's he's too smart a basketball person just to walk away. Um, he may take some time off. Uh, and the other part of that too, is Steve Nash is a competitor, like he mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he has not failed at many things in his life because of that competitive spirit that that you know indomitable competitive nature that that he possesses he hasn 't failed at many things, and I expect that he will want another shot and i I hope he gets it and whether it 's at the n b a level uh in europe uh, South America. G League as an assistant on a bench. Uh, look, he was a consultant in Golden State. If he goes into a front office, I, I just don't see Steve Nash throwing up his hands and walking away that easily.
0: All right, let's step aside and we'll continue with a whole lot more on Smith and Jones. Again, make sure you subscribe to Smith and Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please download, rate, and review. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast. Smith and Jones, former Toronto Raptors' C.J. Miles will join us when we continue right here on Smith & Jones. Welcome back to Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you again. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Please download, rate, and review, Google, Apple, Apple, wow. Apple, Spotify. I'm making up a new platform now. Wherever you get their podcasts, make sure you subscribe to and download Smith and & Jones. And speaking of podcasts, you'll be hearing from and seeing this guy quite a bit over the course of the uh, NBA season, the Raptors season specifically. Uh, Strictly Hoops with CJ Miles. wherever you get your podcast, And he's working with Yahoo Sports Canada as well throughout the year. Former Toronto Raptor, long-time NBA vet, CJ Miles, Join us. CJ, thanks for the time as always.
3: No problem. Thanks for having me as always.
0: Hey, CJ, you know, before we dive into a whole bunch of things, because we, we, we got a lot we could ask you about, um, where do things stand with with you in terms of I know we spoke to you last season and and, and you know you had a, a stint down in the G League as well. Where do things stand in terms of where you're at right now physically, let alone mentally and, and where the where the, 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 the playing days in the career may be standing at right now?
3: I mean, I'm the best way I can put it is I'm enjoying my life. I'm enjoying being a father, I'm enjoying, you know, having more time with my wife. I mean basketball has been great to me and I, I like I hate to say the word retirement I don't know that I don't really like that word because I'm still in touch i'm still in the gym I'm still around that i'm still i mean, very much involved in the game but uh i'm not I'm not chasing like somebody asked me if I wanted to come shoot uh for a team on Twitter, and I said I have no interest put it like that <laughs> uh
2: well hey man <laughs> c j father time undefeated, and we'll uh we'll know you'll know as you've said to us uh, off off mic when it's time but hopefully somebody comes knocking in february when it's stretch time and they need a guy who can put the ball in the hole hey you never know it could be back here in toronto i say that optimistically but you saw this toronto team in san antonio um what do you think of them i think a lot of people are underplaying them probably as you know having been here not giving them the respect maybe that they deserve but this is a pretty good team i'd like your professional thoughts
3: that so as far as like it then being underplayed, still baffles me. It baffled me when I got there, um, because they were really good before I got there and then the team we were on being a part of it, it baffled me, but that's another kind of – it's for another day. But as far as um just the team in general, I think I look at them as dangerous, man. It's like they there's so much length, there's so much uh what's the I don't know if it's uh interchangeability is the word I'm gonna say. <laughs> Um, there's so many guys that can do so many things, and they cover so much ground. They contest everything at the rim. Um, they they got guys. Everybody handles the ball. Like, it doesn't matter who initiates the offense. Uh, when they make threes, it's really, really dangerous because all those guys are one 2 us from the rim. Pascal is great. Um, seeing Scotty Bards play point guard and guard the point other point guard full court, denying them the ball before it's It's really crazy to see, and this is without – a natural floor leader without
0: Fred on the CJ, let me ask you something on that very specific point where you're just talking about the the interchangeability, to use your word, the um, versatility of this team in general as well. I asked Nick Nurse about this last week, and and I can tell you what he said if you if, if you want, if you're interested when you answer the question. But I said, how is it, or 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 how do you approach? Getting everybody to buy in, because you've been there as a player. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it. I've heard, you know, over 20-plus years, 25 years covering sports, I hear guys often talk about being unselfish. I hear guys talking about playing for the we instead of the me- But more often than not, it ends up becoming about the individual. It's not as much team, and you don't necessarily see as much unselfishness except for the really good teams, the really good teams that get it, the light clicks, and they actually are playing for the collective unit. How difficult is it to get to that point and for a coach to get through to individuals who are so driven by stats and numbers and as that relates to contracts and raises and money and to sometimes take that step back and go, I might score less I might contribute less, but in the end, I'm actually contributing more because we are a collective unit. We are truly a we.
3: So you hit it on the head with the, with the you know, it is a job. You know what I mean? This is a production-based sport. Like you're going to get money based off, you know, there'll be accolades, there's going to be points, there's going to be uh, the stats are the thing that drives players, especially young players, the younger players that are kind of getting in their stride and trying to, try to make a name for themselves. Um, and I think the biggest thing, though, with that is there's got to be proof of the put, you know, like because winning also will help those things also winning like most teams that are winning teams take care of their own guys because they recognize the value or another team will pay them still that value because they value what they bring from a winning organization. So I think a lot of teams that we that we've seen that become unselfish or we call them unselfish when the season's over, they weren't unselfish when the, when the season started. <laughs> They just got to the point where they were 20-3 and, and they were like, this might go somewhere. I don't want to mess this up. <laughs> so, like, it, it kind of turned into an accountability thing. And, it, and, and just like I said, the proof in the pudding comes from us winning games and seeing the system really works.
2: But, CJ, let's look at the system. You talked about the interchangeability, and it's known that that's the way Toronto plays. Nate McMillan was actually kind of humorous uh, when Atlanta came in. He said if you took the numbers off – uh, all the guys are the same 69 long athletic you know Trey Young switches from Scotty Barnes onto Precious Achua. then he calls for another screen and he swishes out and switches out and there's Chris Boucher so th- there's there's no you know there's no rest there but in a league that is a copycat league talk about Toronto's innovative nature and Nick Nurse in terms of doing what he's doing getting the buy-in and making it work and now we see other teams uh, kind of looking at some of that stuff. We see a box in one occasionally from another team or a a triangle in two. Uh, We we see, we see stuff that I wouldn't say Nick started it, but he wasn't afraid to do it in the NBA when people sometimes look down on that.
3: Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, Nick, we know Nick's a mastermind. He's not afraid to tinker. Like that's one of my favorite things about watching these guys and watching him and seeing what he does. And it allows him to be prepared for so many situations as the season goes. And, in big moments, he's not afraid to take risks because of that. Um, I think that the league is definitely not far from coming to the space that they're in just because of the fact of it's, like you said, Trey Young's on the floor, and he, switch, he switches forward three, four times in the possession, and he's still with a six-nine, seven-foot-one wingspan guy that moves his feet as well that can test everything on the floor, and that makes it a nightmare for guys like that they just they just have to do a little bit more winning before everybody goes, Hmm. I see where that's going. Let me try to get ahead of it before it before we're left and left behind so badly. Like the 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 Golden State situation. Nobody wanted to do that. Nobody wanted to go small. Nobody wanted to play perimeter oriented. Like I remember like everybody was still holding on to the big, big power forward, still throwing it in with two bigs and then it just got so far out of hand that nobody could catch up. And then everybody was trying to turn bigs into perimeter spaces, and it didn't work. And eventually, like, the the talent level catches up because the young kids watching are molding their skills into that. So by the time they get to the league, now there's a bunch of guys like that. It's a different pool. But the biggest thing is for them to continue doing what they're doing.
0: CJ, let me flip the script on you then. If you're looking to – because, listen, obviously they're not going 82-0. and 0. There are dents in the armor. They're going to be off nights. If you're an opposing team we're talking about all this flexibility the Raptors have all the interchangeability the athleticism the length et cetera lots of positive things how would you if you were coaching or playing how would you combat against what Toronto has and what they do and how can you try to um, nullify or at least you know um, temper some of that potency some of those weapons that we've been discussing here for a few minutes
3: um obviously one thing is like I'm gonna make I'm gonna make some of those other guys beat me by making eight threes that night. You know what I mean? Not that there's not guys that can't make shots, but I want to see Precious go five for ten. I want to see Chris Boucher goes six for nine. I want to make OG shoot ten three. You know what I mean? I want to make these guys make heavy. Prove to me they can do it. Like, I believe in their abilities, and I know they work on it in practice, obviously, from being there and talking to those guys for, like, if I'm the other team, I'm good. Right, that's what I want. I'm gonna pack the paint. I'm gonna be as close as I can to taking driving lanes from Pascal and Fred and Scotty. Um, and I'm gonna make these guys have to shoot me out of the shoot me out of the gym. Um, and then the other thing is, I'm gonna take advantage of the kind of equal opportunity that they play offensively. Like everybody's been able to handle the ball. All right, so Freddie's uh, not playing. Scotty's playing point. Whoever the point guard is at that time, I deny him and they throw at the Precious, whoever's guarding Precious has got to come pick him up before he gets half-court. I'm going to test that also. Like, I don't care who it is. I'm just going to try to speed. They want to play fast, I'm going to make them play as fast as I can. I'm going to make everybody play so fast that it gets crazy. Like, that's the way that I run at it.
2: CJ, what do you make of the early part of the season? Um, people always say, oh, you know, I don't look at the standings until February, Other people say, well, it's too early to be talking MVP. But as long as the season is, there has to be a start at some point in the season where, hey, man, Pascal Siakam hasn't had a game under 20 points. He's had two double-doubles in his first eight games, whereas he had two in 68 games last year. Or, uh, you know what, people said Utah Jazz were going to go in the tank, but, you know, they're in the top half of what is the standings early? Like, I, I just, what do you make of that? And people kind of downplaying some of teams and players' early success.
3: It's a it's a tricky situation because, so I look at Pascal, and we got to look at Pascal the right way because Pascal's already, he's got a, a track record. Like, he's done this and can do this, and he's a building player. Like, we see him heading this direction. So to see him at this spot right now, points all fingers or all directions at he's going to be like I heard him say he wanted to be top fives yeah. like you have to take that seriously watching the way he starts this season because you've been watching his trajectory. now when you put together you see a young guy coming in that has no track record that he's doing we gotta see more games because we gotta see what happens when the scout report gets on him different defenders start guarding him every night things like that same thing I think kind of with the Utah Jazz team that's so new there's a lot of excitement everybody's fired up. Like It's like we talked about everybody buying in. It's easy for everybody to be fired up in the first 10 games. Let's see what happens after they lose five in a row or they go on the East Coast swing and it doesn't go well. Or, God forbid, one guy gets injured and things got to shift a little bit and we got to hold the fort down until one of our main guys get back and he misses a month. And then we can recover from that. Like, good teams do that. So let's see that part. Um, and then there's the other teams that are supposed to be the really good teams with really good veterans and solid things we got to kind of look at those teams like, what are they doing? Because somebody's got to turn their switch on earlier in the year if we're going to keep this boat afloat.
0: So, CJ, let me follow up with this then, and, and, and I apologize if this sounds repetitive to the question I asked five minutes ago. You got Pascal mm-hmm. talking about wanting to be, and the, again, this is. I'll preface this by saying this is a positive problem but maybe uh-huh. I'm just trying to peel the layer back too much here. you got Pascal saying that he wants to be a top-five player MVP candidate, and he's certainly looking pretty damn good the first two, two-and-a-half weeks. you got OGN and Obi saying he wants to be considered oh, among the best defenders in the league, and, and making all defensive is his goal, and he feels he's been underappreciated across the league to this point. you got Scotty Barnes as the reigning rookie of the year wanting to be a future all-star. You've got Fred coming off an all-star year, And also feeling that he might have got snubbed on all defensive last year, how does everybody stay at that level? How does everybody achieve the accolades while still maintaining that team concept going forward?
3: (laughs) Win, not to be so, but like we, we we win, we go out and we go and we attack everybody every night, and we understand that these things also like like top five guys in the league. It's not. He wants to be. A, he wants to be a top five player, not a top five scorer. Like you know what I mean? Not top five in stats. He wants to be considered one of the best players in our league. Those guys win also, and they do whatever it takes to win. I think we're talking about his scoring. He's also averaging seven assists a game. OG and Fred both lead the league in steals. Like you want me to be on offensive defensive team? You're not going to talk about me. Well, you got to talk about me because I'm on top of the list. I know I'm just. I know I just contradicting myself by saying stats don't run it, but stats in your particular field of what you're trying to um get to do. I mean, in that case with like steals. Um I think they Scotty Barnes, they're they're allowing him so much freedom because they're trusting him with the ball that he's gonna it's gonna allow him to grow and allow him to keep doing what he's doing because he's passing. Like watching him last night throw some of the passes I saw him throw lets me know where his head is. Because he had smaller guys on him, things like like he had times he could have just kept it and done and play bully bar, he's making right reads, guys are making right plays. Everybody understands where Pascal's at, what he's doing and how how great he's become in that mid post area. And it's just it's such a hard thing to attack. But those guys understand that winning is what's gonna make everything else happen. And you got two of the guys, well three of the guys besides Scotty, three of those guys that he named have been to the mountaintop also so you got those three guys on the top of that list trying to make all these things
2: happen cj i I mean for me and you say that with the stats and and i get that but the nba we know sometimes is a league of reputation and you know jose calderon once joked to eric and i they put the label on you they pin you you it stays and and we kind of laughed about that but i mean you can say pascal says he wants to be a top five he's performing that well now um you know, if he, if he keeps it up, how many people are going to say, well, you know, he did it for a year. They want to see history. They want to see track record. They want to see, uh, you know, some, uh, you know, some modicum of regularity with it, I, even though the numbers say otherwise. So, so the other mm-hmm. part of it is how do you, how do you change attitudes? Because that's, that's, to me, that's part of it too. Voters, coaches, I mean some people are quick to say yeah hey that's i I'm, I'm I believe what I'm seeing. other people will say yeah i I'm not so sure yet I need to see it a little bit longer and as soon as there's a drop off or an inclination that it it isn't what the numbers or or other people say it is, they say they point and they say, See that's what I'm talking about
3: i think i I think he's got um also understand approaching approaching this that 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 part can't, that part can't weigh so much on what he set out to do. Like when he says top five, is he saying he wants everybody to say he's top five because it's gonna take a while? Like you said, that's just how that goes. Like they're gonna need to. Like we're still picking up. They're still picking apart LeBron's game. It's been twenty years. And he's done everything You know right, what I mean? Right, like so, right. you're gonna have to climb that hill. But like. It's about being present and being in the moment. So, like, if we look at this, I'm on the best team in the league, averaging 27, 8, and 8, going into the playoffs, lead my team. Say we, we go win the championship, which is the plan. There's no way I'm not top five. Now, put in the uh, say I don't want to give it to him yet because I need to see next year. We're talking about present time, and that's the, the, the best thing he can do as a basketball player in this space that he's in right now is be present. Last game can't matter. Next week's game can't matter. I'm top five right now when I step on this floor because I just got to be better than you right now. I got to be better than you tomorrow. I got to be better than you yesterday. I got to be better than you right now. And he's got to carry that into every game. And he'll be where he wants to be.
0: All right, CJ, we're going to keep you a couple more minutes here. You've been very generous with your time. Seeing as you brought up his name, I'm going to quickly just shift gears for a second. LeBron James. Certainly he didn't think things were going to be playing out like this in Los Angeles when he's got Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook and now you add Patrick Beverly and, and the list goes on. Is this just a matter of going back to earlier in our conversation where you referenced you know, 10 games? Hey, whether 10 games are going good, 10 games are going bad, where are you at the 20-game mark, where are you at the 40-game mark? Is it a matter of just being patient in L.A. or is there more to it?
3: So this goes into the, the track record that my man was talking about. With them, you gotta let you got to allow them time because of their track record. Like those guys are, you talking about some of the greatest guys that ever play our game on that team, and guys that have proven track records of helping teams win. And and you got some guys, and then you got a bunch of guys that don't have a track record at all, really yet. So you gotta let. Them, I think you gotta give them a chance to see if my LeBron, my leaders, if their traits can rub off on these other guys and they follow suit because they already have the respect factor. I think it's just about finding some continuity. And we might get to a point where, you know, we we need to make this move or that move, but I, they're never that far away with that type of talent on the team. And I think you just got to, you know, hone in and let, them, and let them figure it out a little bit. You can't wait too long, but you can't tell that team right now that we got to blow it up.
0: We're going to leave it at that, CJ. We appreciate it, man. Thanks for your time.
3: No problem. Thank y'all, man.
0: All the Thanks, best, CJ. man. We'll talk to you again. Yes, sir. Former Toronto Raptor and longtime NBA vet, C.J. Miles. Great to chat with C.J., some great perspective Jonesy, and we'll look forward to getting him on again uh, maybe a couple times throughout the course of the year. You can always see him again or listen to him on his uh, podcast that he's going to be doing with Yahoo Canada throughout the season as well. Speaking of our podcast, of course, Smith & Jones. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast: Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise Subscribe, download, rate, and review. Fresh episodes dropping every Thursday. And you can hear us as well on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Thanks to C.J. Miles for joining us. And Eric Curry as well. For Paul Jones and Eric Smith, thanks again for tuning in to Smith & Jones.